but why don't you guys just join with me in prayer real quick, uh, and then we'll go to the Word. And um, just be thinking along that line and uh, uh, about how much uh, He has done and what you have to be grateful for. Dear Heavenly Father, I do thank you so much that we have this hope, that you have um, given us life through your Son, Jesus Christ, that um, through your power we can be made new, we can be changed, our perspectives, our, the whole outlook on life, the, the way that we make decisions, the, the way that we interact with people around us, the, the things that we enjoy. All of those things can be changed and, and made new and, and be brought into an alignment where, where, where we're worshipful about it. And I just thank you so much for that. I thank you that through the work of your son on the cross, that, that when you look at me and, and, and look at other believers, that, that you don't see the sinfulness and the, and the, and the, and those things that just rebel and uh, that, that just bring so much grief to you, but that you see his perfection. His covering and His atonement. I just thank You that um, through His life that I know that there is a better day coming, that there's so much more to look forward to than, than what is here and now. That that, that, that abundant life, that, that life that, that is full of, of joy and peace and patience and and, 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 and all of all of that comes as a as a a part of knowing you that 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 will no longer be faith, but it will become sight. I thank you that we can know this and have this assurance, not by our good works or, or not by not by the things that we can do, but because you do things in us that show us we are being made new, we're being changed, and your fruit becomes evident in us. I pray that you'd help us to see that. I pray that in this time of, of reflecting on your Scripture and seeing you work in the world, that, that um, through your Word, that we would um, once again see who you are and what you're doing, what you're about. <clears throat> it's all these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> Excuse me. Okay, well, it's a big day for us here. Um, if you've been with us the last several weeks, you'll understand why it's such a big day, because we're moving on from John chapter 8. We've been in that several weeks, and I um, better make some room for myself here, or uh, I'll make a fool out of myself. Um, but we're going to move on into John chapter 9, and so if you've got your Bibles, you're welcome to go ahead and turn there. But let's just start with this thought. Justice. We love justice, don't we? I mean, when, when, when we're watching movies and the bad guys seem to win or be winning, it upsets us. It messes us up in some way. But, but when we're watching a movie and the good guy wins, everything just feels right in the world. <clears throat> Excuse me. For example, I mean, just imagine. Just imagine if you were watching X-Men. And, 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 oh, man, what's the guy's name? Magneto. If Magneto won in the movie X-Men, well, that would have ruined the movie. It wouldn't have been any good because we love justice. We love this idea of, of, of people getting what they deserve. We love this idea of, of, um, of things falling out the way we think they should as we make our estimations about right and wrong. I was doing some study on this over the last few weeks, and I... 
was uh, I, I found the, the statue, this, this popular statue that's outside of courtrooms all over the country. Not here in Springfield, I guess because we wanted to be different. But um, in, in fact, all around the world, there's a statue that people have come to know as Lady Justice. And he, as she stands outside these courtrooms, she holds scales in her left hand, a sword in her right hand, and sometimes is even blindfolded. And as I looked at that, I, I wondered what this all stood for. And the scales were, would, would represent the, the fight or the mission to prove the truth and to, to demonstrate the mission to prove justice or people getting what they deserve and things being balanced. The sword would represent the power that justice has. And then when she's wearing a blindfold, it represents that she is not influenced by, things of the, by, by, by other things than what the truth would show. That justice is really going to provide what people deserve. And well, I found that kind of interesting because that, that really didn't start happening until the 16th century. These statues have been around for a long time. But it wasn't until the 16th century that people started putting blindfolds on the statue. And it was interesting because there was a big debate about it. There's this big debate about whether this statue should have a blindfold on it. And in my mind, I'm thinking, come on, it's a statue. Really? We're going to have a debate over whether this statue should have a blindfold on it. Well, the thought is, well, if you blindfold justice, then she can't see the truth to make a decision. And so they've got this whole argument around this symbolic idea of what justice should and shouldn't be able to see. And I thought, you know what's interesting really about that is not that there's an argument over a statue, but that even in a statue we can see that we don't agree on justice. What's justice to me may not seem like justice to you. Here's one. What's justice to the people that attacked us on on 9-11? would not seem like justice to us. You see, they were acting in a way that they thought they were justified in acting. As they attacked us and and killed Americans, they thought they had every right to. So justice to you and to me is different oftentimes than it is to other people that we see and speak with. But as we look today, there is a standard. As we look today, we'll see in Scripture that God has a standard of justice. And it's probably different than ours. In fact, it is different than ours. But I would call you to consider his standard of justice. John chapter 9. Okay. Jesus is in Jerusalem. And depending on who you talk to or who you read from, depends on how you would approach this passage. Um, I'm of the mind that, that this happens as he's walking out of the temple. He's, he's just finished this controversial conversation that was going to end with the Jews stoning him. He makes this claim to be God, and Jews pick up stones, and they're going to stone him. And he disappears from sight, and he walks past them, uh, not being stoned. And on his way out of the temple, he sees a blind man. And that's where we pick up the story. We'll start reading in verse 1, and we'll read through verse 7. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. As his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, 
as, as you think about this, it's obvious as, as they cross this man's path or as they, as they pass by this man, the, the, the first thing that becomes obvious is they recognize that he's been blind from birth. He's always been blind. And, 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 and the reason we know that is obviously how it's stated and what it, what's said there. But it's interesting to me that they know that. On, on one of the, on, on actually every one of the trips that I took to China, there was this one man that I knew was the way he was from the time that he was born. He walked around on his hands. His legs were, were crippled. Uh, in fact, they were, they were just nubs of, of legs. There was feet there, but he could not do anything with them, and, and he walked around on his hands. He had a little cart that he would sit on and actually push himself around. But when the rough road was rough, he'd get off his cart, and he'd just kind of walk around on his hands. And he made his living begging. That's how he got by. He begged for everything that he ever got. He couldn't work, and so he, he was a beggar. And this missionary, the first year I was there, this missionary tells me his story and how the missionary got to know this man, and the man became a believer. And now the missionary, every time he tried to give the man money, this crippled man would, would reject it. He wouldn't take his money. And so the missionary asked me if I would give, them, give the man some money. And so we put some money together, and I gave it to the man. And every year after that, he was there. Every year. I went four times, and he was always there. And as we spoke with people in the village in this place, everyone knew about this man and that he'd been that way all of his life. And so in my mind, this is probably much like what's happening with this guy. This guy is probably always at the temple, sitting outside of the temple, begging and making a a living the only way he can as a blind man. And as Jesus walks by, this probably isn't even the first time that Jesus and his disciples have seen this man. They probably have, have seen him at other points at the temple begging. But it's at this point that Jesus and his disciples begin to have a conversation about him. And his disciples, in their question, reveal more than the fact that they know he's been blind since birth. But they reveal a fallen perspective about how they view justice. What was the question they asked? The question they asked really begins to show that they've got this problem, that they've got this, this fallen view. It says, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents? Who, who, who did such a wrong deed that, that this man has been blind forever? And so it begins to show us that, that these guys had a, had a perspective that sin had a direct influence with what we dealt with in life. They, they had this idea, if you sinned, God would reach down and zap you with something, and you would deal with strife and struggle and problems. And it's really, you know, there, there was a reason that they thought this. It's not, it, it's not that there's not passages that read that way. It's not that there's not scripture that could be taught that way. In fact, one of the Jewish teachings was this. They had heard this all of their life. If you sin, if you do wrong things, if you do bad things, God's going to reach down and he's going to smite you. And he's going to make you suffer and you're going to be miserable because of it. You might think in your own life about things that have happened and think, well, what did I do wrong to deserve this? But that's what they were thinking. And like I said, it's not strange that they thought this. Before we go too far and think that they were, they were not thinking correctly, there were passages that read this way. If Exodus 20, verses 3 through 6, God's giving the Ten Commandments. And the first of the commandments, as he begins to spell them out, he, he begins to share these commandments. And, it, and it, he gives reason for people to think this way. It says, you shall not have any other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image 
or any lightness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity or the sin of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. But showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You see, if you took this passage by itself and set it aside from all the other scriptures, you could begin to see why someone would think, well, hey, this guy's parents, they must have hated God. They must have done these terrible things against God. And so this man was born blind. Or somehow, I don't know how it would have happened, but somehow maybe this guy sinned while he was still in the womb. I don't know how that would happen. I don't, I don't know what that's like. I don't know what he could have done that, that, that would have been that way. But you can begin to see that, that by themselves passages like this begin to demonstrate for us that people can easily begin to see this and think this. See, our view of justice, our view of justice is that everyone should get what they deserve. Our court systems are set up around this. The whole legal system in America is set up around this. You break the law, you pay the price. You don't break the law, you don't have to pay the price. That's how, that's how we view justice. I can remember one conversation I had with this girl. And she thought that her car had broken down because she had just committed a sin the day before. And she's relaying to me that, that she had, had, had sinned and then was driving down the road and her car broke down. And she tried to tie this all together. And she thought, well, because I did this one thing, because I sinned in this one way, God's got, got to get me back. He's got to pay me back for that. See, when we think of things this way, when, when, we, when we view the world and justice this way, it, it does do something for us. It does help us deal with issues that we don't necessarily want to deal with. It gives us this, this way to answer what should happen when good things happen and when bad things happen. It helps us answer questions about, about all the evil that happens in the world. Well, all this evil happens in the world, and, and because this evil happens, bad things are going to happen to those people who do evil. And, and, and good things happen, and so, and so because good things are happening, it means good people are doing good things. You see, it, it helps us divide it and helps us deal with it while never making it personal. But you see, this, this view, that view, that's not a gospel-centered view at all. That's not a, a God-oriented view at all. That's got more to do with karma. And, 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 this, and, and this idea that, that I can determine my own destiny by the works that I do. If I want good things, I do good things. If I don't want good things, then I do bad things. But that's not a gospel-oriented view at all. You see, there's a much different view. There's, there's, there's a much different perspective. And as we continue to read, we'll see how Jesus gives that to us. In verse 3 it says, Jesus answered, It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. You see, these guys, they give two choices. 
either this guy sinned or his parents sinned. And they weren't giving any other choices. In fact, they would have expected Jesus to answer in this way. They would have, they would have expected Jesus to say, well, it was one of these two. But Jesus answers with a different perspective. He gives this whole new perspective that, that has really nothing to do with that man at all. But it's got all to do with God. You see, it wasn't that this man sinned. And it wasn't that his parents sinned. It was that God's work was going to be revealed in him. You see, God had allowed this man to be born blind. He had allowed him to grow up with never experiencing sight. He had allowed him to deal with the struggles of life that come with that. Close your eyes and imagine walking around this world with no light, with no vision. Imagine the struggles that you would know. He allowed that man to to experience that and to deal with it. But it had nothing to do with that man by himself. But it had to do with God. It had to do with, with what God was doing. His answer, Jesus' answer, gives us this new understanding. These things happen not simply because of sin. You see, sin it is at the root of all suffering. It is at the root of, of all that happens that's bad in the world. But we have to understand, as we hear Jesus' answer, that our suffering... At the, at, the, at, the, at the base of it, at, 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 in the midst of it, it may be much more profound than just God paying us back for our sin. There may be, there may be much, something, something much bigger and more important than just us ourselves in the midst of it. See, our suffering may be much more than what we think. See, the Jews, they, they did have reason to teach these things. And they did have reason. They did have scriptures that they stood on to point to these things. But as I said, if you take them by themselves, you're, you're, you're really just taking scriptures out of context. But when you begin to look at the whole of scripture again, when you begin to look at all that the Bible says, you begin to understand that there's something much bigger happening. God did say those things when he gave the Ten Commandments. He did say that, that, that as you hate him, he's going to carry out and, 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 and your, your, your offspring will deal with your, your, um, the consequences of your decisions. We know that to be true. My mom and dad, and my mom's in the room. I'm, I, I didn't ask her about this, but she knows this story, and you guys probably know it as well. My mom and dad divorced. And when they did, that sin brings consequences for all of their children. About ten years ago, my wife left me. She made up all kind of good reasons. But when she did, the consequences of that sin affected our children. And the reality is, is that there's people in this very room, whether you have kids or not yet, that your, your, your life and the decisions you make will affect your offspring. And it affects the people around you. When some sick pervert decides to do some terrible thing to a kid, his sin, the consequences of his decisions, affect the lives of people. Whether it's the child that he uh, decides to abuse or the parents that have to deal with that. But it's the truth. But when you look at it and become so centered on self, you miss the point. You miss something bigger that God can do. You miss something bigger than just you and me. 
You see, when you begin to put those passages that speak to God working and allowing negative consequences in people's lives because of our sin, when you put them back in context with the whole of Scripture, you see something very different. There was a man named Job. The story is told in the very same scriptures that the, that the Jews would have looked to to defend their position about God causing struggle because of particular sins. This man Job, he suffered at the hand of God, actually at the hand of the devil, but it was allowed by God. In an amazing way, in, in terrible ways, he, he loses all of his stuff, he loses all of his offspring, and he ends up with these sores and whelps from head to toe, and he is miserable. He's in agony, and he's in pain, and he's miserable. And his friends come up to him, and they say, what did you do? You must have done something terrible. God is mad at you. And he's arguing with them. And he's like, no, I, don't, I, don't, I didn't do anything. I'm just being me. I'm doing the same things I always do. And he demands an answer from God. And God gives him an answer. But boy, he gets something much more than he ever expects. And I want to turn to this one. I don't want to just read it to you. If you've got your Bibles, I want you to see it. It's in Job chapter 38. where we're going to start off with. But Job, man, he's, he's dealt with this suffering. He's, he has hurt. He has been miserable. He has lost. And he has been accused of terrible things as if he's that pervert that's done terrible things to kids. He, he's that guy that, that does those evil things. And he stands and he demands an answer from God. And God answers him and he says this in verse 1 of chapter 38. Or verse 2. Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Who is this that stands up and talks to me like he knows something? Who is this that stands up and gives me these words that, that sound wise to him but are truly ignorant? Dress for action. Get ready. Get ready. Like a man. You better stand up and be ready to take a beating. That's what God's saying to him. I'm about to show you the truth. I will question you. And you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have any understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. I mean, this is he, what he's saying to him is, is hey, you're standing up and you're, you're, you're demanding an answer of me? You stand up and provide me an answer. Who laid the heavens and the earth out? Tell me. Where were you when I did this? How did it happen? Tell me. And obviously Job is struck and he begins to realize, wait a minute. I don't have those answers. I can't speak to that truth. And God goes on. And I would encourage you to read that whole chapter and actually all of the chapters where he answers. He goes on through chapter 41 and he comes to a place where Job has been confronted with truth after truth after truth after truth that God is sovereign in all things. And it says in the beginning of chapter 42, Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know 
that you can do all things. And that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? He's talking about himself now. What in the world was I thinking? This is God I'm talking to. This is God I'm demanding an answer from. I have uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me, which I did not know. You see, Job began to understand something. And, and the lesson that Job learns is one that you and I should learn, and really the Hebrews, the Jews, they needed to learn. The point I want us to get out of this is that, that people do suffer. And ultimately, it is because of sin. If, if sin had not been in the world, if Adam and Eve had never done that first act of obedience, if they had never acted in a sinful way, we would not have the man born blind to study. We would not have the book of Job to read. The Ten Commandments would have never been needed to utter. We'd be perfect and, and everything would be the way it was intended to be or the, the way it was created to be. We wouldn't have those things. So ultimately, at the bottom of it all is sin. Without it, there would be no suffering. But what we need to understand is that in the midst of it, in the midst of it, God is at work by trying to squeeze our view of justice, our view of, of people get what they deserve. And, 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 and when people do bad things, they deserve bad things to happen to them. When we try to squeeze that around the suffering of the world and the problems of the day, we deny God's sovereign power. We deny that He rules over the world, that He's at work in the world. And, and in my mind, I don't think that's where we want to be. And I bet if you ask Job after his confrontation with God, he would tell you that's not where you want to be. We can't look at all the injustices or what we view as injustices in the world and determine that God's not at work or that some terrible thing, they did, they did some terrible thing. They deserve this terrible thing to happen. For, you know, for, for many of us, this is a hard teaching. We, we don't like it because it doesn't fit with the, the view of how things should work or, or what should happen. In, in our world, justice, uh, to some extent at least, we, we believe that, that people should get what they deserve. We, we, we live in a world whereby our estimation of what's right and wrong, bad things happen to good people. Let me say it again. Bad things happen to good people. And, and, and possibly even worse than that, at least in our view, good things seem to happen to bad people. And if we don't have our view of justice and we don't have this idea that people get what they deserve wrapped up around us, we can't answer those questions. We can't talk to people about why good things happen to bad people. Why, why bad things happen to good people. You know, we cry out for justice. We desire justice, but we fail to recognize that God's justice is different than our justice. His justice and His way of working by His standards are different than ours. And we need to be careful of what we wish for. You see, what we, what we need to realize, what we need to see, is that the person we first need to compare ourselves to in this story is certainly not Jesus. 
And it's not the disciples. But it's that man that was born blind. See, our, our views of what people deserve and, 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 and don't deserve, they're severely hampered because we have such a flawed perspective. We, we cannot see people as God sees people. We can't see Him work and do the things that we think He should be doing because we can't see it. And we can't understand it without His help. Because of sin, bad things do happen in this world. People suffer. But because of it, we are born blind. We can't see the truth. But we live in a lie that, that looks like truth. We, we live in a darkness that looks like it's light. Paul shows this clearly in his letter to the Romans. Romans chapter 3, verse 10 through 12 says, None, not some, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. Not some people understand. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside together. They have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. We need to be careful for what we wish for. Because we were born blind. And we'd much rather accept a lie than the truth. If it were not for God's love, His grace, and His mercy, if we received justice, true justice from Him, that justice that we cry out for, we would not receive anything good. It sounds harsh. It does sound harsh that, that God would allow people to deal with hardship, that He would allow them to deal with suffering so that He might be glorified. But, but what we need to realize, what we need to understand, that is in the middle of this hardship and this suffering in the world that, that we are made able to see Him. If everything was great in this world, who would look for a Creator? Who would look for a God who is good and gracious? If, if we truly were the masters of our destiny, if we truly could decide what happened to us tomorrow, if we could truly control everything that's in this world that happens to us, who would ever look for God? No one. Do I need to read his words again? That's right. From the mouths of babes. No one seeks God. And it's in the midst of this, it's in the midst of these trials and these, these hardships that we can begin to see Him work. Because we live in this light or this darkness that, that appears to be light, because there's a world full of people who are living in a darkness that appears to be light, we think we know. We think we know how God should act. We think we know how God should, should treat people. We, we, and we don't just think it. In fact, we demand of Him to act in certain ways. We tell Him, if I'm going to love a God, then He's going to do this. He's going to be this God. He's going to be that God. If, if, if I'm going to devote my life to, to, to some God, He's going to be exactly of my making. I'm going to tell you something. I don't want to worship a God 
that a guy has screwed up as I create. I don't want to worship a God that someone as screwed up as you creates. I would much prefer to worship the God who created the world, who spoke truth, who gave no room for trying to figure out truth, who when he speaks, all things happen, who who knows how the earth and its foundations were laid, who's responsible for it continuing to spin on its axis, who keeps the animals fed and is there when they give birth to their offspring, who knows what it's like to be in the clouds as they build their snow, who understands what it is to walk on the face of this earth. And be condemned and ridiculed and deal with suffering and pain, all the while being perfect and holy and righteous. That's the God I want to worship. That's the God who's worthy of worship. And as he begins to allow us to deal with these issues and these problems and these struggles and these, and these pains and these problems, as, as he allows us to deal with them and he begins to work in the midst of them, he doesn't do it simply so that he can stand up there and laugh at us and look at what they did now. But so that we can begin to see how great his love really is. How powerful and amazing His grace really is so that we can understand what mercy really is. You see, His grace, it gives us what we don't deserve. It gives us what we don't deserve. And His mercy holds back everything that we do deserve. You see, we deserve justice. We deserve condemnation. We deserve pain and suffering. But he said, I want you to know my mercy. I want you to see my grace. And the Father sent his Son out of his great love for us so that we might begin to see it and understand it. So that in the midst of our blindness, we could be given sight. So that we could see the truth. So that we could know the difference between what the world has to offer and its lie and its darkness and what he has to offer in his truth and light. And as Jesus continues to speak and teach, we begin to see his grace and his mercy revealed. It was not this man that sinned or his parents, but but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me. We've got to do my father's works. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And having said these things, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva. And he anointed the man's eyes with the mud. And he said to him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and washed, and he came back seeing. You see, Jesus, he didn't have to stop. 
He didn't have to have the conversation with his disciples. He could have ignored the blind guy sitting by himself begging for money. He could have walked on by. But he didn't. He took the effort and took the time that it took to to teach and to kneel down and spit and make the mud. And to put it on his eyes and he gave him instruction that wasn't that, that, that wasn't empty and, and that would lead to nothing, but it led to his healing. He taught the man how to be healed. He showed him the truth. And, and you know what's really neat about this? He sends him to a place called Scent. You see, back before the foundations of the world, God knew what was going to happen when he created us. And the plan was set that the Father was going to send the Son. And it was through His sacrifice and His work that some would be redeemed out of the world. And they would be given sight. Their blindness would give way to sight. It's such a beautiful picture of what Jesus does. It's such a beautiful picture of the fact that that Jesus came from heaven to earth and He walked on the earth and and He did this amazing work and He takes it and He takes that mud and He covers that guy's guy's eyes up and He sends him to be washed. And what a picture it is of that covering and that cleansing that we need. That work of Jesus Christ that we need. And He was sent here to do it. What a beautiful picture. But you know what's crazy is, is that there were some that didn't understand it. They couldn't see the grace and the mercy. They couldn't see God's love in the middle of this. And so they began to ask questions and they began to, to struggle with it. And they're like, man, well, I thought you couldn't see. And the guy's like, I couldn't. And this is what happened. And he tells a story. And he tells a story about this man bending down. Now, remember, he can't see. He doesn't know what the guy looked like that healed him. He doesn't know anything other than his voice. I'm not even sure how he got to the pool of Siloam. But he did. And he came back seeing. And he begins to tell this story. And people are amazed. And they're they're like, wow, what happened? And as they're amazed, they're like, hey, the others got to hear about this. And so they bring him to the Pharisees. And the Pharisees, they look at him. And and their reaction is so crazy because instead of looking at the miracle that happened, instead of seeing what Jesus had just done, they're upset. And the first thing they do is they try to discredit this work. It says that they brought him to the Pharisees. This is verse 13. They brought him to the Pharisees, the man who had been formerly blind. And now it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked how he had received his sight. He said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. And some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God. For he does work. He does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was division among them. The first thing they do, the people, the people hear it and some are amazed and some are thinking, wow, this is amazing. How does a guy do this? And some are trying to discredit it. They're trying to take away from this amazing miracle. This guy, this could, he can't be from God. He made mud on the Sabbath. He broke one of our little rules that we built our view of justice around. He didn't act in the way that we think he should act. He didn't do the things that we think he should do. He acted in his own way. He acted in the way that his father had sent him to act. 
You see, it all begins to come back to this idea that, that we're trying to make Jesus or make God fit our mold. We're trying to get him to act like we want him to act and fit our view of justice as we ask him to fit. They first try to discredit it. And when they see they can't do that, then it says the Jews that did not believe, and this is verse 18, that, that the, man, the Jews did not believe that he had been blind and that he had received sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight. And so first they try to discredit the miracle, then they try to deny it. Well, we don't even believe you're really blind since birth. That was just a big act. You've been hanging out at the temple begging your whole life, and it's just an act you could see the whole time. They tried to deny that it was a miracle at all. <laughs> and when that didn't work, because they bring his parents in, and his parents give, give testimony to the fact that, hey, this really is a kid that was born blind. It's true. He was blind since birth. And when they find out that they can't discredit it and they can't deny the miracle any longer, they stand in defiance of it. As the guy continues to share testimony that Jesus Christ healed him, this is how they respond. <clears throat> they answered him. This is verse 34. This is after his defense of himself. This is after his parents have attested to his true situation. This is after people that have known him have been shocked by the fact that he's been made to see. They answered him. You were born in utter sin. And you would teach us. And they cast him out. When they couldn't discredit the miracle, when they couldn't deny the miracle, when they couldn't make this work that Jesus Christ had just done, God in flesh, that he had just done, they stood in defiance of it. It doesn't fit the way we think things should happen. Get out. And as they defied that man, in a sense, they were defying the very work of Christ. You see, as we live in a world where we are being taught and where we are, where we are constantly bombarded by the world's view of truth, if we accept it, if we hold to it, and we trust in that, we are completely denying God's sovereign work, His almighty rule, His amazing power. That's not the place I want to be. That's not the place I want you to be. And as I mentioned a minute ago, if Job were able to tell us today, I don't think that's where he'd want you to be either. We need to recognize who Jesus is and what He can do. In verse 35 it says, Jesus heard that they had cast Him out. And having found Him, He said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And He answered, Who is He, sir, that I may believe in Him? Jesus said to him, You have seen Him, and it is He who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. That morning, that guy woke up, found his way to the temple, found his spot to sit and beg, 
Never knew that this was going to happen. Never knew that he was going to wake up blind and go to bed saying, Jesus made him able to see. And when he could see, he came to believe. And then Jesus accepted his worship and his response. What a beautiful picture of all of us who have come to believe as we understand the covering and atonement we need and the healing power of the Savior that we need. And as we're, as we're brought face to face with Him and His truth and His Word, do you believe? Do you believe? There's only one response that I think is worthy of that. I think we should fall down and just worship Him. It says, For judgment I came into this world, and that those who do not see may see, so that those that do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. Now some of the Pharisees heard Him saying these things, and they said to Him, Are we so blind? And Jesus said to them, If you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now what you say, now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Anytime we're confronted with what Jesus Christ has done, we become very responsible. Scriptures tell us that no man will stand with, with an excuse. But Jesus came so that those who couldn't see could be made to see. He came to bring truth and light into darkness and lies. He came so that you and I could have the hope of salvation. He came for those that would believe so that they might be saved and have the hope of eternal life in heaven with Him and His Father and the Spirit. He came so that we could know the truth, so that we could see His love, grace, and mercy and not experience His justice. But it's very clear. For those that claim to see and have it all figured out and don't need Jesus, there's a much different outcome. An outcome that leads to an eternal and miserable and painful and tormenting separation from God. And then they'll know justice in its true fullness. Recognize we do love justice. But we better be careful what we wish for. Because God's justice is different than our justice. But Jesus came to save us. And as we believe, there's only one way to respond. Worship. Every head bowed. Every eye closed. And I want you to think.